up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You listen to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, who are sweating on three coin flips over the next coming weeks. Their own first rounder, Cleveland's first rounder, and Houston's second rounder, all at stake with coin flips uh, due to matching records with other teams. Welcome to the show this week, the first uh, in the postseason of the 2022-23 NBA season. The Pacers finished up at 35 and 47. We'll talk about game 82 in just a second because we're all tearing our hair out uh, about the result, but it leaves us in a very interesting position, tied with Washington at 35 and 47. We could be in the seventh slot. We could be in the eighth slot. Justin, we were talking just before we recorded about how angry we were to see that win at the end of the season, scrubs on scrubs, and our scrubs just were better than New York scrubs. Yeah, I think it was very frustrating, wasn't it? If you've been following the Tankathon and the lottery odds for the last two, three weeks, like most Pacer fans have, that uh, useless win against New York was frustrating. But I will say I'll just flip it and think they kind of beat Detroit, which they should have, and then lost to New York. That's the way yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of it. But all in all, great season. I think we all enjoyed um, recording the podcast throughout the season. One of the, my most enjoyable seasons for the past five or six years being a Pacer fan, I think. Um, exceeded expectations. Got, you know, 12 more wins than Vegas had had them in for. So I think all in all, it was an exciting year and plenty to build off. Alex, I've got to agree with Justin there. I mean, it's it's put us in a position to be very competitive next season. We still carry three firsts and potentially a high second round pick and potentially a second, two second round picks overall. But we have a bit of a war chest of contracts and pieces and picks and future picks to be able to make this roster just that bit better and get ourselves up into, at the very least, those uh, bottom four spots in the playoff race in the Eastern Conference. But overall, uh, a positive year for Indiana and, you know, uh, Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle should be commended by the roster construction, the picks, and then the results. Yeah, well, I think individually, especially, right? I mean, Miles had a career year, Halliburton, all-star, first player, I think, in history to have 2010 on 40% from three. So, I mean, individually, it was really good. Matherin's going to make all-rookie, Nemhard might. Um, Neesmith had a career year, Nuora was a good pickup. So, I think there was little things here and there that, that even if you're the most negative Pacers fan, you could probably latch on to and be like, all right, well, that's a positive thing. So, and Miles's extension as well, which we, you know, talked about a lot over the year, that was huge for the Pacers. So, yeah, look, next year will be interesting. I think we're all going to be in agreement, right? Like the playoffs uh, are going to be their goal. Halliburton talked about wanting to get to the postseason. I know Buddy wants to get there. He's never made it, which is kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be excited about, as you guys have talked about. Well, we've seen what, you know, teams like New York and Cleveland have done with a strong young core of players and a couple of veterans thrown in the mix. And they've been able to propel themselves up the standings into fourth and fifth, respectively, those two teams. But you've got an all-star playing for each of those teams and arguably a second one uh, on both with uh, Garland, Allen uh, and... Uh, Donovan Mitchell for Cleveland and then for New York, Brunson and uh, Julius Randle. I mean, the Pacers have to find that second 
all-star Justin that's that should be the goal of this offseason it's either Matherin taking a leap which you know scoring wise it's really clear that he can be at the very least a 20 point a game scorer and and potentially a mid-20s scorer over the next few years as he continues to mature he's still so young Um, but because you've got his contract Heald's contract etc 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 you can Go all out to try and get yourself a second all-star to pair with Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, most definitely. I, I think there's a very slim to no chance Pacers draft use all their draft picks. I don't think they'll no chance at all. Pick eight, pick twenty-four, pick twenty-six, pick thirty-two if they've got it. There's no way. You know, they can only develop so many players, and they've already got so many yeah. young players on the team. So they'll definitely look to package them. Um, I'm starting to think I was. I probably changed my mind a bit where I thought maybe, you know, before the trade deadline, Buddy Hill's gone. I actually think he's creeping his way into the Pacers' future a bit more, whether that's being a sixth man off the bench, backing up Matherin. Um, I feel like the front office love Buddy and the fans love him. So I feel like, yeah, I, I just thought he was gone. I feel like he might be, I, I'd love him to be off the bench. I think he's the exact shooter scorer you need to spread the floor, come off the bench play that fourth quarter every now and then when he's hot. Um, I know it's sidetracked into Buddy Hill, I'm not saying he's a superstar or all-star we need, but um, I just think he'd be a valuable asset in the future. And, you know, you've heard guys, Alex, um, say they want to play with Halliburton. You know, we nearly got DeAndre at Aiton. So the future can be, Miles talked about in his exit interview about talking to free agents out there saying, hey, I can obviously tell them how good the Pacers franchise is and, and bring them along. And you know what? If you play with Halliburton, he'll get you paid. He's going to get you some money because he's going to get you good looks. He's going to get you shots. So, yeah, yep. I think that's a super super kind of underrated part about Tyrese being our franchise player and being a playmaker first is that if you're a dude who is not normally looking at Indiana, because let's be honest, most free agents are not thinking, all right, let's go sign with the Pacers. Now you have a reason to, right? Like it's not destination, but you're going to get a chance to play with one of the best passes in the world. You definitely are. And I think looking at the, I'm, I'm just looking at the box score of this New York game and I'm kind of horrified while I'm looking, but at the same time, <laughs> I'm looking down the list and I'm thinking to myself, how many of these guys are going to be in the roster next season? You look at Neesmith, you look at Jordan Wara, you look at Ajax, um, you know, you look at O'Shea, James Johnson, Buddy Hill, we've mentioned George Hill, Daniel Tice. I mean, these. It, it's hard to imagine that, any more than probably five or six guys from this current roster are going to be on the next one just because of where they're at in their careers and the overall war chest of picks and contracts the Pacers have. I mean, when you're talking about multiple late first round picks and second round picks, you could very easily package a Neesmith or Nawara or an Isaiah Jackson uh, with one of those picks to try and upgrade that particular roster spot and get a guy that's slightly more accomplished and has achieved slightly more in their career, puts up better numbers, that sort of stuff, maybe a slightly better fit. I mean, the guys that I'm looking at that I, I think have to and will be on the roster from that uh, New York box score are Matherin and Emhard. I mean, everyone else for me is to some degree up for grabs. Uh, is that crazy, Justin? Uh, is that, you know, you could see a world where anyone except for Matherin and Nimhard on that, you know, 12, 13 man uh, box score 
maybe off the paces next season? No, I, I agree. I think, yeah, like you said, uh, Matherin and Nemhart are just locks to sound the team. Yeah. They're the future of this team, uh, in a sense, to pair with Halliburton and Miles. But, um, yeah, I, I don't foresee. I think Chris Duarte is gone. Um, I think yeah. he won't play another game as a pacer. I think Daniel Tice is gone. He won't play another game as a pacer. Let's um, talk about Duarte. I want to touch on that because uh, we, we've we ridden for Duarte. I'm never buying another pacer jersey in my life. <laughs> um, but... It's clear he fell out of favour with this franchise over the course of this season. It's super clear that he came into this season with a good rookie year. Everyone expected big things from him. He had that second year regression that a lot of rookies have. I mean, it's not uh, unprecedented that a guy comes back from his first good season and has a really crappy one. But Alex, I'm I'm kind of flabbergasted by it because this guy's supposed to be entering the prime years of his career life because he came into the league so late. Um, there were many a joke uh, made at the expense of Chris Duarte because of his age. Um, and, you know, the longer it goes, the longer my Moses Moody love is uh, is being justified, even though I, I took that back a long time ago. But it, it it's been a really weird season for Duarte and it just doesn't seem like he fits in with anything the Pacers want to do moving forward. Yeah, he kind of feels like the odd man out, right? He was yeah. almost drafted for the last Pacers team, if yeah. that makes sense. Brogdon and Sabonis played such a different style to what Tyrese plays, to what Rick Carlisle wants to run, right? I mean, yeah. he wants to push it. He wants to shoot a lot in, in open space. So, look, I think Duarte can be a good NBA player and can be a good scorer. But I don't think it's going to be here with the Pacers. I think with Matherin now locked in at that two spot, you guys said Buddy Hill might come off the bench next season. Like, does Duarte get more DMPs if he stays here, right? He was getting zero minutes at times this year. So, yeah, he he feels like the guy who has to go. And look, it sucks because he had such a, a promising rookie season, didn't he? I mean, he had games where he looked incredible, had 27 on debut. But those are just the way things play out. And it's kind of him and Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson, two of those three, for me, feel like they won't be on the team next year. Justin, two points on Duarte before we move on to to the big guys. It's the literal definition of lost in the shuffle, right? Like this, this roster has been shuffled completely from when he was drafted to today. And his place in it and his role has just been completely gone by the wayside. And I mean, the other one is that he does play like some teams want to play. So you have to try and avoid doing what you did with Goga and not pulling the trigger early enough on a guy that isn't performing because Goga potentially could have got you a hell of a lot more value if you traded him after year one or year two. And in actuality, you traded him to Orlando for essentially nothing. Yeah, it's a great point and probably one of the hardest roles a you know, Kevin Pritchard would have is when to deal someone, when not to. And, you know, you don't want to deal Chris Duarte now because his value is so low. Whereas, you know, we could have drafted him uh, draft night when Warriors wanting to move up. I'm sure, you know, there's that story about the owner slamming the desk when we drafted him. So I'm sure they were offering us um, packages for, for Duarte. So it would be extremely tough. But yeah, unfortunately, like you mentioned at the top, Adam, I think he's just lost his way a bit. I think maybe he's lost, you know, fell out of favor. Matherin's kind of the guy now. Now you've got Nemhart, who is a second round draft pick, outperforming Duarte. Injuries didn't help, but by God, he's just gone night and day. I remember, and you two will remember watching Summer League this year, and 
Duarte looked good. I thought he was going to be a two-way player. Like his defensive efforts were great. And he was a knockdown shooter. And then basically ever since that summer league, he just went downhill. I'd say out of the the entire team, he's the most disappointing pacer of this season by far. Second for me is Isaiah Jackson. And, and Alex, you touched on it then. I mean, Jackson for me just hasn't had the opportunities. Now, it's hard to say whether, like Duarte, he fell out of favour in the rotation, whether he didn't work hard enough or didn't earn the opportunities to be a part of the rotation, or whether he just doesn't play the way that they want their big men to play. I mean, he doesn't play like Jalen Smith or Miles Turner. So, uh, I, it sounds like and it seems like that Rick Carlisle doesn't really want that point of difference on the floor. He doesn't want to change it up. He wants kind of more of the same behind the starters. He doesn't want to really sway away from the skill sets that he wants to really kind of emphasize. Yeah, it, it almost feels like he's in a tough spot, Isaiah, because he's got the body of a four, but he's a five. And I think yep, he has to really. play the five in the NBA. He has to get stronger. You can tell he anytime he gets matched up against a big guy, it's like Miles in his first few years, right? Just can't keep him in front, like foul trouble. But, you know, he, there's so much talent there. His shot blocking timing is amazing. Obviously a freak athlete. Um, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I think there was that weird part where Thais was getting minutes over both of the young guys, which was kind of crazy. I don't know what was going on, but yep. hopefully – the Pacers can figure it out with, with these young two bigs. And it didn't really work out with Sticks either, right? Like we thought he was going to be the, the starting four and that kind of ended after a month of basketball. So yeah, they have to figure out what's going on with the uh, the young bigs on the roster. Am I crazy though? I mean, looking at the the standings just in the East, Milwaukee one, Boston two, Philadelphia three, your, your entire strategic game plan around the way that you build your roster over the next four or five months has to start with the fact that you have a guy that can set anyone up at any time. So then what is your next most important hole to fill? It's defense and it's defending the best players on those teams. I'll say for the 57,000th time on this show, (laughs) we need a guy to be able to go up against Giannis, Tatum, you know, those sorts of guys, everyone will like take a drink if you're sitting at home listening to the show because I've said it again. But I, there's a reason I say this stuff because you need to be able to match this defensively. Miles cannot guard Joel Embiid. I'm sorry. He does our intro. I love Miles Turner. He cannot guard Joel Embiid. Very few can. But at the very least, you need to find bodies to be able to throw at him. You've got to go with the, you know, the way that people used to defend Shaq and just have like Brad Miller coming off the bench, giving you five fouls in 10 minutes. Like you need to try and find guys to guard these players and try and slow them down for five, six minutes at a time before they get, you know, they foul him twice, send him to the line four or five times. And then you try again and you rotate and, and keep throwing different looks. I mean, Justin, am I crazy? Like we, we need to we need to find a defensive identity, number one, because we've lost that over the last couple of years, but we need to find a way to stop the best players on the opposition teams. No, you're definitely not crazy. And yeah, I think I remember hearing you say that episode one of the podcast years ago, and it's still being, still hasn't happened quite concerning, but yeah, look, some of these games definitely later on in the year, you know, we're giving up 140, 150 points to your Milwaukee's and, that's never winning basketball. And, and I'll reference the exit interviews again because Miles actually spoke about it. He said, we've got to go back to being the team that, you know, 
teams fly into Indiana and know it's going to be hard to score against. You know, the Frank Vogel days when Miles yep. was a rookie would give up 90 to 100 points. And, and yes, the NBA is moving away from that. You know, we're not going to hold teams to 90 points a game. That's near impossible with how quick the pace is in the NBA and I guess the skill level now that all five people can shoot on the floor at one time. But we do have to get a defensive identity back and. They they mentioned for guys like Matherin and Nemhart to watch players in the offseason like Drew Holiday and, you know, master his craft in a sense and be, you know, take skills away from him. And they, you know, referenced Nemhart against that um, last game he played against Milwaukee and how much he learned from Holiday on just how he defended and everything like that. So I feel like that's going to help in the future. But but you are right. But, I mean, who, who would we get, Alex and Adam? Like, who... Who's a lockdown defender that we could actually poach that would fit in? I'm actually over OG. I don't. I, I think he's so yeah. overrated now. I'm calling yep. it. I, Agree. He's not worth the draft capital and the player capital we want. So who else could we target? I feel like I mean, and and it's it's easy it's easy to say, but you look at the Cleveland model of what they've been able to build with a pass first point guard in Darius Garland. We have one of those with a scoring shooting guard in Donovan Mitchell. We have one of those, but obviously a ways off being anything close to, to spider, but they had a shot blocking rebounding center. We have half of that. And then a, you know, transcendently defend uh, defensive power forward. Now you need to draft that, or you need to find that from somewhere. Um, and, and that's how you cover the deficiencies of your backcourt. They've clearly basically said everything funnels into Evan Mobley and that's why he might win Defensive Player of the Year or might go very close at least because they know that the backcourt will struggle to defend almost everyone that it comes up against, but they're totally okay with that because they're getting you 50 points a night and 15 assists a night so they can kind of cover for it everywhere else on the floor. So... I feel like if you think that Matherin and Halliburton can get you 40 to 50 points a night as a backcourt, and you have to think that they can because they got you 40 points a night this year, then you basically say to Turner, okay, you have to block everything. You have to average like four to five blocks a game. But um, more than that, for the love of God, can you please learn to rebound over the next few months? Please, pretty please. Uh, And then you draft a four-man that can get you you know, 15 points and 10 rebounds a game. He doesn't have to be an intense scorer. He's just got to be able to rebound. He's got to be able to defend his position. He's got to be able to switch. And then you can go out and potentially find your fifth guy, um, another guy that can defend. For me, Alex, you can't play Matherin and Halliburton and Buddy Heald in a starting lineup unless you somehow have Kevin Garnett and Hakeem Olajuwon (laughs) behind the three of them, ready to reject anything and everything that comes their way. It just doesn't work. Can Ronald Test and Jeff May come out of retirement? Can those two guys come back? Um, Jeez, I don't know. It's like that Jada McDaniels type, right? Like, that's the guy the Pacers need. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There aren't a lot of them around the league, though. That's the problem. And I just look, I, I think Jarris Walker, I don't know how much you guys have looked into the draft. He's my favorite in this class right now. And he kind of is though, Adam, what you're talking about. Like if the Pacers get any kind of luck on lottery night, he can rebound the ball. He blocks shots ridiculously well. He's an athlete. Like he kind of is that prototype for for the modern NBA because he can pass the ball and play make as well. So yeah, obviously I'm getting getting ahead of myself talking about the draft, but it's the most important thing, right? That three and four, because 
who was playing the three and four most this year? Right? Like Nemhard and Neesmith. Mm. Neesmith was playing the four. You can't, like, if you're serious about making the playoffs, that can't happen long-term. So, yeah, they, they need to figure out who's going to be that long-term option. And I really don't know. Do you reckon they, do you guys think, this is a question for you, I'll start with you, Adam. Do you think they address both those positions in the draft or do you think they have to package these picks and, and trade for, I don't know, if not OG, who else is that guy? Well, I think we've seen the opportunity present itself over the last couple of days with two reports. Dallas want to trade their lottery pick. Portland want to trade their lottery pick, regardless of where it ends up, unless it ends up first. So if they end up with the fourth, fifth, sixth pick and jump the paces, the paces don't have to trade seven, eight or nine, wherever they end up. They could keep that pick and then they can use however many players it takes apart from the, you know, the locks to get up into that extra spot and get that second lottery pick. If you have to trade both late first rounders and Buddy and another first rounder to move up into, you know, sixth or fifth or fourth, then sure, and it'll get you a second lottery pick, you absolutely do it. I mean, the the thing that I've read about this draft time and time again is the sheer number of Fords that are available between picks two and ten is unbelievable obviously Scoot Henderson is available as well and you'd probably be silly if you didn't draft him because of the talent that he potentially represents but apart from I think Anthony Black um, it's mostly defenders and forwards that are kind of give you the ability to be able to defend multiple positions which is exactly what the Pacers need so to answer your question will they address those needs I damn sure hope so, Justin, because this is the draft to address those needs. Yeah, well, the last few years, we've kind of thought the Pacers might get busy on draft night, haven't we? And they haven't really. They've kind of just stuck to what they have got. And been, you know, Kevin Pritchard historically in his Portland days has been very draft day active. So um, I feel like him and Rick are going to be in the draft room and going to be taking calls and they're going to be busy. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of action draft day Obviously, we'll know a lot more. I think it's around May 15 when the draft lottery happens. I'll be nervous as hell as we all will watching that, hoping, you know, they somehow get lucky. I know Alex, you tweeted there's no chance the Pacers will get lucky anyway. But um, <laughs> I'm holding out some hope. I'm, you know, going to wear my lucky underwear that day. Hopefully, we fall down to pick number Colors one. Colors the lucky underwear, Justin. Blue and yellow, blue and gold. Of course it is. Alex, any any chance we, you know, you, you spoke about it last week with with Woody, and and that's why I bring it up. You spoke about getting a second lottery pick. I mean, is it is it conceivable that the Pacers potentially trade away future assets as well to try and get another pick in this draft and and address that that need? Because effectively, if you don't get pick one, then you could come away with a small forward and a power forward. Right, and the the one that I talked about and I've talked about a lot, is the Usman Jane trade, right? And obviously, yeah. you know, he's kind of had a whatever rookie year. He's a project pick, but he was a guy who cost them three first, which for the Thunder, that's like nothing, right? That's chump change. They have a million of them. But for the Pacers, if you want to trade the Celtics pick, the Cavs pick, or the 32nd if we get it, hopefully, I think that that, and maybe you throw in a player, I don't know, maybe they want Duarte or Thais if it's a contender, I don't know, but you have enough assets to get back up into the lottery. And as you said, I mean, you go down the list, Asar Thompson, uh, Jarris Walker, Cam Whitmore, 
Taylor Hendricks, Ryan Rupert. Uh, there are so many guys. Yeah, well, yeah, there's an NBL guy. We got to throw in the biased NBL dude. We have there, to. We have to. So Look, many... <laughs> I, I host two there's NBL so podcasts. Wins. I have to talk, talk the NBL guy. I have to <laughs> I have to rep Ray and Rupert. Ray and Rupert was started a small forward for a team that made the NBL finals. I mean, you compare that to what RJ Hampton did playing for a New Zealand team that did effectively nothing for half the season and just putting up numbers. Uh, and you say that this guy was able to be on the court at key moments throughout a uh, team season that led to them making the playoffs and making waves in the playoffs and had some real moments um, across the season where he was able to score and defend at a high level. Um, and he's young and he's long and he's, you know, by all accounts, uh, a really hard worker. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to, to find a better pick at that sort of mid-first-round range uh, for mine. If you if Even if you couldn't get up into the top 10, that is a hell of a consolation prize. That's the other thing. Remember they traded for Isaiah Jackson, right? Yeah. They moved Aaron Holiday in a pick to get up to, I think it was like 21 or 22. So even if we don't get a second lottery pick, I'm sure that they will be exploring all those options throughout the first round. And he might be the guy they look at. So, Justin, um, at what pick do we pick Grady Dick? <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of that on Twitter uh, recently, which would be quite quite hilarious. I, I don't know if I'm just, I don't know, re- like watching a rainbow in the sky, but I feel like I've got a lot more confidence in the Pacers drafting than I had recently. Um, I don't know if that's Rick Carlisle when he's kind of, you know, He's got more, I guess, power than just being a head coach. It's actually in his contract. So, um, yeah, I'm confident wherever we land, we're going to make the right pick. But obviously, I've been wrong in the past. And, you know, we've made some awful picks in the last five, six years, which hopefully we don't again, because this is a very important draft. We spoke about last year, and they said, I think KP said it was the most important draft in the franchise's history. Well, this is probably on par with that, depending where we land in, in the lottery. But if we're top five pick, you can say this one's the most important draft because we have that much draft capital and assets and cap room that they're going to have heaps of options. You're going to make the right move here. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I'm very excited for the next two months. Do you think that part of your confidence with the franchise is that they have a clear direction now? They've got franchise cornerstone building blocks that they think to themselves, you know, we're about to give Tyrese Halliburton $200 million over five years, probably in in this offseason. So we know what the next five years looks like. We know what this rookie contract uh, will look like this next four years for whoever we draft. So we can kind of go in with some real surety at the center position, at the point guard position and at the shooting guard position with Matherin that, you know, we can build around that. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, we, we've done these podcasts over the dog days where we knew Oladipo didn't want to be a pacer. Yeah. Um, you know, for longer pacer fans, you Paul George wanted out the final few years. So We've known that. I feel like Halliburton's this superstar, all-star we've, we've wanted. And like you said, Adam, we've got clear direction now. So the, the franchise has probably got a two to three to four-year goal and plan, whereas, you know, we've gone through Nate McMillan, Nate Bjorker, and um, now Rick Carlisle seems steady for the next two, three years to develop these rookies, which he's done an outstanding job this season. Um, you know, Matherin's the best rookie I've probably seen as a pacer ever in my yep. time. So, um, 
and Nemhart, you know, Carlisle always talks about if you redo the draft, he'll be a top 10 pick. You can make the case he'll be a top five pick, I reckon. Nem- yeah. Nemhart's just a player of the future. So, yeah, exciting times for Pacers fans. I feel like I don't want to go early because obviously a lot depends on health and way the way the team looks. But I think I'm going to call it now. They're going to be a lot to be in the playoffs next year. I'm going to call it now. We're getting Victor. There you go. Pick one. Oh. Touch wood. Bang. It's happening. We, what, what's it? What's something you need? You need to do something yeah. if we get Victor. If we get Victor, then I promise that I will be at uh, in Indiana next season. Love at it. Stage next season. I uh, I don't know when. I don't know how long for. You might swim but from Tasmania will... to Vegas to watch summer league. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, uh, it's, swim there, mate. It's in. It's in play. Uh, Hobart, Auckland, LAX, Vegas is is the route. I've uh, I've looked it up. All right. Guys, uh, thanks for being with us this week. We'll be back to you next week uh, in the heat of the playoffs. We might even touch on some wider league stuff as well uh, because the dog days of NBA summer are uh, upon us. So we'll have uh, plenty of paces to talk about and plenty to, to share with you over the summer, particularly in the lead up to the draft. Then with Summer League after that and then the lead up to the regular season. Also, before I let you go, congratulations to the Indiana Fever for their WNBA draft today. They uh, selected Aaliyah Boston, uh, who was the College Defensive Player of the Year with the number one pick. She is a uh, power forward slash center. So looking forward to the Fever getting back up there as well and looking forward to Pat Boylan covering the Fever all season long as well. Thanks very much for uh, listening to the Pace Roos and we'll see you again next Tuesday.